0: Well, today we are um, continuing for the second week, our study in uh, the parables, uh, finding direction, uh, the parables of Jesus. And we'll be looking at uh, different parables throughout the summer, uh, 11 weeks altogether. And um, Pastor Brandon will be preaching two of those. Uh, Pastor Corey, one, and, pa- and Pastor Steve. Yeah, uh, uh, Steve Reed will be uh, uh, teach- preaching the other one. And uh, that pretty, sounds pretty good, Pastor Steve. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll have uh, throughout the summer, uh, you'll hear from the whole team. And I'm really excited about that. I also let them pick their own uh, their own parables. So if you don't like a parable they pick, don't blame me. OK, so that's that's enough said, especially Steve Reed when it's his turn. So um, uh, finding direction. Uh, the parables of Jesus. Today, we're looking at the parable of the rich fool. And the reason I picked this parable, because it's the most difficult one to understand. And I'm no smarter than anyone else. But I think there is so much profound truth in this parable. But it's really kind of weird and odd. And I think you'll pick up on that as we go through it. So uh, the parable of the rich fool. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. And uh, we're going to read that. It's in your bulletin. Also, we'll put it up on the screen. But uh, this is the word of God. For Hope Covenant Church today. Someone in the crowd said to him. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Jesus did not provide a title for this parable. Most translators call it the parable of the rich fool, which sounds kind of harsh to me. So I've renamed it. And I'm kind of contemporizing it, and I want to call it the parable of Mr. Bling Bling. Now, now the usage of the phrase Bling Bling is only about 14, as far as I can find, 14 or 15 years old. It came out of the hip-hop movement, and it's used to, originally it was used to refer to extensive jewelry or accoutrements that one might wear. OK, but uh, it has become increasingly popular over the last 15 years. In fact, its usage is so common that the word has even been accepted into the prestigious and time-honored Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, C.S. Lewis would turn over in his grave. Um, here is the definition of bling-bling in the Oxford English Dictionary. An entire lifestyle built around excessive spending and ostentation. In other words, some who have a lot of stuff like to show that they have a lot of stuff. That's called bling bling. Now, the man in the parable is a man like that. Uh, His life was built around his possessions and his money and his family, all good things. And Jesus wants us to listen to the lessons of this parable. Remember, we talked about last week that parables are stories with intent. A specific intent. Intent And I want to share with you three lessons that I've gleaned from this parable, the parable of the rich fool. Here's the first lesson. Don't let money drive you. Verses 13 to 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What Jesus is saying is um, there's an alert here, you know, kind of a red blinking light. Be careful. Go slowly here. And He's saying this to this man, which is kind of interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. This man um, actually was in the crowd and Jesus was talking about something completely different. In fact, Jesus was talking about um, uh, a teaching about the importance of confessing your love and your faith in Jesus. He's talking about confessing with your mouth. How important it is to use your mouth to say, I love Jesus or I serve God, those kinds of things. It's similar to what we experienced last Sunday, right? Um, uh, you, those of you, well, most of you were here, I would think, and we had 16 people up on the stage uh, Children, teenagers and adults, and each one of them expressed their faith verbally, right? They confessed their faith. That's what Jesus was talking about to the crowd, talking about confessing your faith out of nowhere comes this guy. Now, he's probably standing up front. He was probably dozing off. Uh, By by the way, I I see you when that happens. Uh, No, not really. The light's in my eyes, so I don't really see you. But I want you to think I do. Anyway, uh, so this guy was kind of dozing in and out of uh, Jesus' talk. And all of a sudden, he wakes up, and he's got something on his mind. And he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus is going, where would that come from? You know, what are you talking about? You know, what's going on here? And it kind of reminds me of the old saying when this guy said, you know, he's talking about dividing up the inheritance, you know, where there's a will, uh, there's relatives trying to divide it up. You know, that old saying, Um, in fact, one of my goals in life uh, when I die is to spend the last penny in my checking account so that my kids don't fight over it. You know, I think that's the best inheritance I can give my kids is absolutely zero money. Let them fend for themselves. I did. You know, that kind of a thing. So here we have teacher. I tell my brother to divide the inheritance. So he's concerned about his inheritance. And Jesus says, now, now wait a minute. Now, he could have said, would you go back to sleep? Because we're talking about something else. But Jesus thought this important enough to say, OK, let's this. This matters. Let me let me talk about this and we'll kind of go off on a rabbit trail. And so Jesus says, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus was always taking opportunities to speak truth to people who wanted to hear. Now, the word that's used in this, the original word in the King James Version, and it's a good translation, is covetousness. Covetousness, uh, which means driven by stuff. A deep desire for things. Um, It it means the word literally means to cast your eye on something and and, and just stay fixed on it. And maybe you see a car or uh, you see a boat or a a home and and you and we all look at those things and appreciate them. Wow, that's really cool. That's really neat. But when you fix your eyes on that and you attach your eyes and your heart to that thing, that's called covetousness. And Jesus said, be very careful. There's danger it can be a person or possession. You can say to yourself, I really need that. I really want that. Jesus says, beware. Uh, in the text, it says, life is not measured by how much you own or how nice it is. Uh, in 1 Timothy 6.19, 6, 19, it says this. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So we want to find not just life. We've all, we're all experiencing that. That's good. We want to find that which is truly life. And if you have a covetous heart, if you've attached your heart, your desires onto something or some person, uh, Jesus would be very, very careful. There is danger ahead. I, I read uh, where James Merritt was telling about an older woman who moved into a retirement home. And she began to stare at this one particular man who had been in the retirement home for years um, he would go to breakfast. She would go to breakfast and sit right across from him. And, you know, while they're eating their raisin bran, she would just stare at him, you know. It made the guy feel kind of creepy, you know. So at lunchtime, he would go and sit in a, a far corner. And, and sure enough, this woman would come over and sit and, 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 and just stare at him. You know, like, And the same thing happened at dinner. Uh, it went on, if he went out on the front porch to rock, she found the rocker next to him and she would just stare at him like this finally, he was getting really kind of freaked out after about four days of this. And he said, lady, why why do you keep staring at me? She said, you look just like my fourth husband. He said, well, how many husbands have you had? She said, three. Uh, So (laughs) beware if your eyes get fixed on something and "Mm, I need that. That is called covetousness. And Jesus said there's danger there. Now, the reason there's danger there is not that there's something wrong with stuff. There's not something wrong with stuff. There's something wrong with loving stuff. There's something wrong with attaching to stuff. Beware of holding on too tight. Thinking something of life, uh, thinking something of, in life, whether it's a possession or a person, is that which gives you life. And instead, the First Timothy passage says, no, that's not what gives you. What gives you life is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he calls that not life, but he calls that truly life. Truly life. It's where you breathe in life. It's when you experience all that God wants you to experience in relationships with people, love, joy, peace, faithfulness, all those great fruits of the Spirit. God wants you to experience that. So his first lesson is be very, very careful. Don't let money or possessions drive you because covetousness kills. There's a a second um, lesson, I believe, in this uh, parable. And it's this. Don't let money or possessions deceive you. Uh, verses 16 to 19. Let me read those for you. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? Now, when I'm reading this next, uh, what, what the man's thinking and saying, I want you to count the number of times he says, I or me or myself. OK, um, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, now, uh, Mr. Bling, Bling uh, in that, how, many, how many did you count? How many? I heard 15. I heard 10. I counted 15. Okay, so so there's a lot of me, 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 me. There's a lot of I, 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 my, 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 myself. And we talked about that a a, a couple of weeks ago, right? In our in our series on financial freedom. We talked about all the things we spend on ourselves. Remember, it was it was me, me, we, uh, me and then others in God. And and, and so this is kind of like Mr. Bling Bling is in that mode of I, I, me, myself. Come on. Now, let me let me do a side note. Uh, about rich and poor, we get really all up in a bunch as middle class Christians in the United States. We get all caught up in this rich, poor thing uh, because all of us think that we're not rich. We think that the guy on the rung above us is rich. And um, and and yet and we also have a problem with poor people. Uh, and what I'm saying by that is many, I've heard many Christians say this, certainly not you it had to be my other churches. Uh, I have people say, you know, poor people are poor because they choose to be right. How many times have you heard that? And some of you think I kind of believe that, you know, well, forget that. Okay. We're talking about, in the Bible. There are four categories of riches and wealth and the four categories of people are thus. thus. This is just a side note. Number one, the righteous rich, the righteous rich. Those are the ones that we've been talking about in our series on financial freedom. Uh, they've t- obtained this by hard work, uh, good investments. Um, what they do with their money is righteous. Uh, they give, save, and then spend. They don't have that reverse. You know, they, they flip the list. They give, they save, they spend. And, and when, you, when they do that, God wants to literally overrun them, overwhelm them with his blessings. Now, the blessings aren't always financial. We know that. But God wants to open up his arms and open his, his gates to you. That's the Righteous rich. And I think, quite honestly, if most of you kind of think about it, that's most of us. Most, most of us don't think of ourselves as rich, but all of us, even the poorest among us, is in the top 2% of the world's wealthiest people. Okay, so just kind of remember that. So we're kind of rich. So I, I hope that you're righteously rich, right? But then there's also the unrighteous rich. Those who are dishonoring to God. Those like Mr. Bling Bling, me, me, me. I want bigger barns. These are those who have gained their finances perhaps unscrupulously or crawling up the back of someone else or cheating on taxes or, or simply by doing the list wrong, by doing the list, me, 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 we, me, me, and then maybe if there's something left over, God. Those are the unrighteous rich. And then there are the righteous poor. Okay, now, for some of you this may be hard to understand, but there are people in the world, a lot of, especially in third world countries, that are every bit as hardworking And as industrious as you are, and yet they have nothing Uh, because of their circumstances, because of where they were born. I mean, some of us are wealthy simply because we were born in the United States, right? Uh, And and so and these people are hardworking. Uh, They just don't have very much. They're poor. Their hearts are righteous. They love God. God is pouring out blessings. They may not be financial blessings, but he's pouring out blessings upon them. They still honor God. I mean, I've told you before that that when you look at categories of people, who gives the most per capita of of, of categories of people? The ones who give the least are white-collar men, percentage of their giving. The ones who give the most are single black women. So so it's not about how poor you are or rich you are in terms of how generous you are. A good example of that, of course, is the widow and her mites. She was the most generous person in the world, and she was probably the poorest person in the world. So there are righteous rich, there are unrighteous rich, there are righteous poor, and we all know there are unrighteous poor. I saw a sign the other day, and I love this sign because of the honesty. The guy standing on the side of the road holding up a sign, usually it's Vietnam vet, need food, God bless. You know, you, this guy had a great sign. Here's what the sign said. I'm not going to lie to you. I just want money for beer. OK, now, I I, I love that guy. You know, I, in fact, I didn't have any money on I me. Mean, I would have given him five bucks just because of his honesty. You know, I love somebody like that. But but these are what we call the unrighteous poor. They don't work hard. They don't care to work hard. Uh, they mooch off a of family. They go to the casino and spend, blow money. They're frivolous. They get more credit cards than they can handle. And uh, those are people that are just not honest before God. So please, when you're thinking about rich and poor, don't think that the rich are virtuous and the poor are not. There are both of the same. You know, it's some of the same stuff. So that's kind of my little side note on rich and poor. So let's get back to the parable. Um, all that to say, that we need to be very careful how we look or categorize others. Because we are all wealthy, all of us. Let's make that clear. Um, everybody thinks that they're the guy that's wealthy is the guy that's above you, but we're all wealthy. So let, we'll just settle on that. So, and, and Jesus is saying, don't let wealth deceive you. In other words, what wealth or possessions can deliver is not what you think it can deliver. Um, It it promises great stuff. It promises great happiness and great joy, but it's not able to deliver. Now, we all know that Uh, we all know that the more stuff we have, it does not necessarily make us happier or more satisfied. But uh, I mean, it's nice to have things and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not it doesn't deliver uh, happiness inside of us. It doesn't deliver that kind of peace that only God can bring. So Jesus says, be very careful. Money can deceive you. You can start believing that that's the thing that will give you life. That's the thing that will sustain you. That's the thing that will fill you up. That's the thing that will make you happy and joy-filled, like Mr. Bling Bling. We see that in his life. Now, back to the parable. Uh, So, Bling Bling is there, and he's uh, looking at all of his his stuff, and he's got a great crop. And, yeah, it was because of hard work and good fortune and all kinds of things. So, he's got a great crop. So, he looks out over his vast... Empire, his vast fields that are ripened to harvest, and he says, What on earth am I going to do? I don't have enough place to store this stuff. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with all the extra? And so he went through the list. Should I give it to the poor? Ha! He thinks. They're just lazy slobs. Why should I give it to the poor? If they wanted to work, they would go and get a job at 7-Eleven. You know, they, I mean, they, they, should, they should go wash camels, you know, if, they, if they're really poor. So, so he, he had that kind of an attitude. He said, I'm not going to do that. Should I help my neighbor? He said, no, I know the scripture. And he says, I know the scripture that says God helps those who helps themselves. The only problem is that's not in scripture. In fact, that's not even a Christian concept. You know, but yeah, but that's what he believed. I'm not going to help my neighbors because God will help those who help themselves. And, and so he's going through all the list, and finally he sets upon an idea that really matters to him, that really resonates to him. And here's the idea: I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. I'll build bigger barns. So he tears down all of his barns and builds these really cool, big, modern, first-rate barns. Now, when I read this uh, and, and you read it initially, this parable, you say to yourself, oh. Thankfully, uh, Dwayne's not going to hit me in the head because this is not me. I'm not that I'm not that guy. I'm I'm not Mr. Bling Bling. Well, as as I was reading this, I had to kind of repent uh, of my own attitude towards rich and poor and all of that. And and I had to say, wow, I I think I've got a little bling bling in me. Let me give you an example. So uh, in 1950, uh, the average size of a home in America it was 1,000 square feet. When Sherry and I were in seminary in the 1970s, our apartment was 650 square feet. And uh, we still managed to uh, survive somehow, you know, right? So in 1950, the average home in America was 1,000 square feet. In 1970, 30 years later, the average household size, the year Sherry and I were married, was 1,500 square feet. In 30 years, it had gone, it was, it was 33% larger, or 50% larger. In the year 2000, the average size of a home in America is 2,200 square feet in the year 2000. So in the last 30 years, the size of families has been reduced by 25%. The average size of family is 25% smaller than it was in the last 30 years. And the average size of our houses has increased 50%. Here's what God hit me over the head with. Bigger barns. bigger barns i 've got a bigger barn i, I, I don 't like to think that way, but I just do now now, for some people, bigger barns, bigger houses it 's not enough, so we get closet organizers and and we get an entire room for my wife 's shoes now i didn 't really say that just out loud did I yes, I think I did and and so we have storage space, and then we have garages and i 'm constantly building more shelves in my garage and because I, I loved the Midwest. The only reason I loved the Midwest was because the basements. The rest of it you can have the Midwest, but the basements I loved, and, and so all of this. But 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 that was. But even that's not enough. So Americans have invented something that we call storage facilities. This is a barn. In addition to our barns, <laughs> this is a bigger barn. Yeah. Well, oh, but Dwayne, this has got to be about bad people. No, this is about people. Right? This is about people. Uh, this is a barn in addition to our barn. Here's something that I, I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. Here's this uh, an amazing statistic. The number of storage facilities in the United States, there are five times more storage facilities in the United States than there are Starbucks. And there are Starbucks on every corner in the United States. In Vidalia, Georgia, they have a Starbucks. But they also have Five storage facilities. When I read that statistic, I was blown away. We need more space because we have more junk. And so we just admit it. Say, okay, I admit it. I am wealthy and I have too much stuff. And so Jesus says to the man, and this man wasn't as good as us. He didn't at least acknowledge it like we do. Uh, This man uh, didn't acknowledge us. And here's what Jesus said to this man because he knew his heart. He said, and this is hard. He said, you fool. Dude, I thought Jesus was nice. I, I wrote next Sunday's sermon last week because we're going to take the grandkids to Disneyland. And, and, and one of the things, points I made in next Sunday's sermon, this is a preview, is that Jesus is not always nice. In fact, seldom is he really nice. I mean, he's truthful and he's loving and he's compassionate, but he's not always nice. And, and here's one of those times he wasn't very nice. You fool. You have totally missed the idea of stuff and wealth and things and people and life. You fool. You see, the American dream in some ways is God's nightmare. Now the reason I say that is not because America's bad. No, it's not. It's just that we are so wealthy that it's really hard for us not to embrace those things as the things that give us life. The American dream in some ways is is God's nightmare because we want bigger, better, faster, shinier, newer. We want it. We want it. Mister Bling Bling in that text said, "Here's and I'll say it for it out loud. I, I, I'll, I, my, I, my, my, my I'll, myself." That's in one verse. So I say, yeah, I, I, I know. Uh, and so I know. Uh, I've said this myself, and some of you have said it. Uh, but if God gave me a lot of money, then I'd be generous. You know, if I hit the lottery. You know, then I be generous. You know what God says to that in this text? He said, uh, "If you're faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in much." <laughs> people that say, "I'll give God a lot and I'll I'll do a lot of good things with my money when I get a lot of money," those are people that are usually not faithful in, in the small things, in the small amount that they have. God says, "Be very careful. This money thing it will deceive you. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years." This man said, "Take life easy." eat, drink, and be merry. He is so deceived. He believes life is about accomplishments and accumulations and recreation. He thinks he will live forever. The man failed to realize that not only did God run, own the man's stuff, God also owned the man's soul. Here's the final lesson for the parable. Don't let money destroy you. Don't let money destroy you. Verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. This man thought that he had many years left. Don't we all? I mean, how many of us remember talking to Craig Wilson two Sundays ago. Was it two Sundays ago or three Sundays ago? Three Sundays ago. Talking to, you know, he's in his wheelchair. He's the, man, he was the tall man without a leg. And almost, he was very friendly. Almost all of us had something to say to him that Sunday. Did any of us think that he was going to be dead in four days? He's 53 years old. He's a young man, at least compared to me. He, he was 53 years old. And Somehow we think we will live forever. Well, but pastor, I need to feel secure. I understand that. God understands that. But how much is going to make you feel secure? I'll tell you what I'm secure in. I see my grandkids who are there with us for these three weeks, and I'm secure in the fact that they know Jesus. And no matter what happens, we're going to all be together for eternity. That's what I'm secure in. And then the text says that to this man... He was told by this angel that your soul is required of you. Now, this is a banking term. It means to call in a loan. It says your uh, your soul is required of you. It means that your your loan is to be called in. Um, You see, all that we have and possess, even our ingenuity and our hard work and and our intelligence, all of those things that we think are ours, all of those things are on loan from God. And even our lives are on loan from God. He is the owner of our stuff and of our souls. So this man, Mr. Bling Bling, laid up treasure for himself, but he was not rich toward God. Now, the phrase is interesting. The phrase rich toward God means that we love and embrace the things that God loves and embraces. And the list of things that God loves and embraces, well, it's a long list, but in some ways it's a short list. Because what the short list is this. Um, God, love and embrace God, and, and people, right? And there's other things, too. We love and embrace joy and peace and happiness and laughter. Those things are all great, too. But, but the list is pretty short. You love God and, and you love people. Those are people that are rich toward God. Now, consequently, this Mr. Bling Bling let money and possessions drive him. He let money and possessions deceive him. And then one night, God called in the loan on the man's soul. And ultimately, God destroyed him. And for this reason, God calls him a fool. Haddon Robinson helps us imagine this man in the 21st century. You can imagine the rich man sitting at a desk one evening. And across the desk is uh, this uh, elaborate plans of brand new, bigger, and more beautiful air-conditioned barns. Across the desk from him is the town architect, and sprawled out in front of them are these blueprints. And, and the rich man says to the architect, now, now listen, there's a time in my life when I had the best and biggest barns in the whole community, but, but that wasn't enough. Then I had the best farm in the entire Jordan Valley. And now he's saying to the architect, I, I want the most pre- prestigious and the best and the biggest farm in, in, in all of Israel. That's what I want. So the two men work hard on their plans well into the night. Uh, pretty soon, the rich man's wife uh, comes to him and says, Honey, it's getting late. Why not you come to bed? He said, Well, we've we, we got a little more work to do. So she kissed him goodnight and went on to bed. And he and the architect continued working until 11 p.m. At that time, the architect said, You know what? I've, I've got a family at home, and I've got things I need to do. I, we've been working on this all day. I promise you I'll continue working on it at home tomorrow. But right now, I've got to go back. Uh, to my own home. And the uh, rich man said, I understand. And he showed him to the door. About an hour later, there was a knock on the door. And the rich man couldn't figure out who that might be. So he started going towards the door after he had bolted the door earlier. And, and before he got to the door, a presence was in the room. And he said to the presence, who, who is this? And the president said, I'm deaf. Well, what are you doing here? Well, I've come to claim your life. Well, that's not fair. You can't do that. Uh, You've not given me any warning. You you didn't tell me that I only had so much time. That's just not fair. And death said, well, yes, I did. I I showed you dozens of times. Last week when that little boy was killed accidentally, that was a warning to you. Uh, A year ago when your partner died, Every time you open the newspaper and read uh, in the obituary column and every time you pass a cemetery, I I give you warnings all the time that your life is limited. And and, uh, I'm sorry, Uh, you may not have understood it, but that's, whether you heard it or not, that's what I'm here for. And then the death said this. He said, 10, 9, 8. Seven. The rich man says, well, wait wait a minute. <laughs> come on, man. We can, we can negotiate. This isn't right. Uh, I'll give you half of my farm, half of my wealth, half of my barns. Half. I'll give you half of everything. And, and, and death said, what am I supposed to do with that? Six. Five. Four. Oh, okay. Now, now come on. Now, this isn't fair. I'll, I'll give you everything. I'll give you all my barns, all my flocks. All my wheat, I'll give you all everything I have. Every, I'll start from scratch, but it just don't take my life. It's, it's not fair. And at this death, simply just waved his arm and said, three, two, one. After that, the man died. That man had prepared for contingencies, but ignored life's only inevitability. The next morning, his wife comes down and finds her husband slumped across the desk. She tries to wake him up and discovers that he's dead. A day later, all the people in the community gather and they have a wonderful eulogy and talk about him as a model citizen of their community, and he was. They talk about his his success and his contributions to their community. After all, he had built the biggest barns in all of the land. And then they take him to the cemetery and they bury him. And over the grave they put a large stone. And on the stone is a word from the Bible and a word from the poets. And, and then there's a statement about how that he was so noble and successful and visionary and progressive. And all of this was on this huge stone marker. And then the crowd went home. That night, the angel of God walked through the cemetery. And over all that they had engraved on the stone... He wrote one solitary word, fool. The parable, Jesus says, is to understand that life, truly life, is not about what you embrace. It's not about the fact that you have believed that there is something in this world, whether it's finances or possessions or people, that will really, truly satisfy your soul. So here's one simple question. And I'd like to ask you to silently answer it with honesty in your own heart. What are you living for? This parable comes with a very difficult punch at the end of it. And the question that Jesus wants us to consider is, what are you living for? Is it stuff, uh, accumulations, ease, retirement? Be honest. Some of us we have to ask for forgiveness and say lord i i have embraced the wrong thing but for some of us we have perhaps never embraced the truth of this we've embraced life to a certain degree but we've not embraced that which jesus calls truly life and i invite you to bow your heads with me heavenly father there's um, something in us that believes we're going to live forever. And we know that that's false. And we also know that life is certainly more about accumulations and stuff. But it's so easy to get caught on that river of prosperity, that um, nice, easy flow of life where we're accumulating things and... We're embracing things that we believe have substance in life, but we're ignoring that which is truly life. And Father, I'm asking this morning for myself and for all of us that we would simply ask the question, what is it that I want from life? What is it I need? And Lord, I pray that that question at least at some level would be answered as we come to the table of God this morning. We come here to this table um, not because we have all the answers, but because we don't have any answers. We come to this table not because we are perfect, but because we are imperfect. We come to this table not because we are healthy and robust, but because we are sick and broken. We come here to receive God's grace, to receive his help, to receive his hope. And before we take this communion, I'm wondering if there are those who would say, Pastor Duane, I I resonate with this message because it's so easy for me to get caught up in this. But others of you might be saying, well, I don't understand this at all because I've never given my heart to Christ. And yet somehow by the Spirit of God, I believe that today is the day. And so I would encourage you, if that's your spirit, if that's your heart, that you would simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want you to be number one in my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I need you. I want you. And if that's your prayer this morning, the beauty of that is that God promises that he will do exactly that. That he will come into your life and redeem you and forgive you of all your sins and prepare you to receive everlasting life. And that everlasting life can begin this morning as you come to this table and participate in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you and for each of us. And we thank you, Father, for the great privilege of sharing in this table. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken in you. Take and eat. In the same way, after Jesus had taken the bread, he took also the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink ye all of it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I'd like to ask the servers, if they would, to please come forward. And as you're preparing your hearts to receive the lord's supper i would invite you to participate at hope covenant church we uh, talk about open communion it doesn't matter if you belong to another church or don't go to any church if you are a child of god this body and blood is for you and so we invite you to partake in this meal